metaphorically speaking, a pair of glasses um, created by a few Bible verses that are going to help us. We're going to look through those, those verses uh, to help us see the glories of Jesus Christ in this passage of Scripture. Uh, and the reason why I want to do that is because it's a longer passage than, than last week. Last week I preached on uh, the story of Jesus calming the storm and the Sea of Galilee, and it was like four verses. Okay, so when you, this one I think is like 14 verses, Luke 8, 26 through 39, if you'd like to turn there, Luke 8, 26 through 39. Um, it's a very long passage, relatively long in comparison to four verses. So when you go through, when you preach through a long passages, you can't do, um, you can't get caught up in the details and go as detailed as maybe like a shorter passage. So, so I want to create a lens so which we can see kind of the big idea of this big passage, and it's the story of the demoniac the man who was possessed and oppressed by demons, and Jesus comes and rescues and restores him. Uh, so here, let's look at the scriptural lens before we dive in here today. Uh, the first verse is 1 John 3, 8. Um, I know Christmas is over. Okay, I know that. Um, but I'm going to make a reference to it again. Around Christmas time, Christians are concerned about making people, helping people to understand why Jesus Christ came. And there are many reasons to why Jesus Christ came. Came, why the Son of God came to this world. 1 John 3 8. The reason the Son of God appeared, it's pretty clear, was to destroy the works of the devil. That's one reason why the Son of God came to this world as Jesus Christ. That's the first lens which we're looking through today. Luke 19:10, second lens, if you will. The Son of Man came, that's clear. To seek and save the lost. So you have two reasons there. Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, we're going to see today. And Jesus Christ came to seek and save the lost. That's another thing we're going to see today. But the last verse is Romans eleven twenty two, And this verse will kind of be the frame that the lenses will be sitting in. It's a command from Scripture. Behold then the kindness and the severity of God. There's no option there. It's a command. This is telling us to do something, to stare at, look at, gaze at the kindness of God and the severity of God. And in this passage today, we're going to see the severity of God expressed most specifically in how he destroys the work of the devil. That is not a kind thing God is doing by destroying the works of the devil. That is a severe thing that God is doing. And then... We're going to see the kindness of God in him coming to seek and save a lost man. So that is, that is big picture what I want to do today. I simply want us to behold the kindness of God and the severity of God um, and have us marvel at Jesus Christ. So let's start. Verse 26, Luke 8, starting in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So this is, this is after Jesus calms the storm, and he's going with his disciples across the Sea of Galilee to this area of the Gerasenes. Jesus is moving from Jewish territory to Gentile territory. Uh, and the Jewish people viewed the Gentile people as enemies, if you will. They were not part of the promises of God. They were not considered part of the, the special people of God. And so Jesus is moving into this, quote-unquote, enemy territory, if you will. And not just enemy territory, but um, they were also viewed as unclean. 
They were sinful, yucky people who are not specially a part of the covenant people of God in the Old Testament. Jesus regularly, de- de- excuse me, he regularly demolished Jewish expectations for what the Messiah was going to come to do. He wasn't just coming for the Jewish people, he was coming for the entire world. This is what Jesus is taking his disciples into. Verse 27, when Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. So Jesus steps on land and a man comes up to him. This man is very dirty. This man is demon-possessed and this man is dejected. He's described as having demons, plural. He had worn no clothes. That's strange. He had not lived in a house where he's homeless. He's lived amongst tombs. This is a very dirty, dirty, broken man. Mark 5, different writers, same account, describes the condition of the, this man even more drastically. I think it's going to be up here, yeah. He lived among the tombs. So he lived among dead people. And no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. Had some form of superhuman strength. I don't understand that, but seems to be. No one had the strength to subdue him. (coughs) Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Broken, dirty, demon-possessed, dejected man. And this is the man that Jesus is going to be dealing with. And we're going to see the severity of God towards this man and the kindness of God towards this man, specifically in Jesus Christ. Let's look at the severity of God first. Verse 28. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. In order to see the severity of God, you need to take notice of the reactions of the demons within this man. Look at verse 28. He cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, I bet, excuse me, I, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment. This is demons. You need to, demons are begging Christ not to torture them. They are Shaking in their boots, if you will, in terror. They're begging him like cowards. Demons. Those who are the essence of evil shiver and melt in horror at the sight of Jesus Christ. What's causing this? Look at the first phrase of verse 28. When he saw Jesus. It is the mere sight of Jesus that causes this, these demons to shudder and utter horror 
This is not a physical sight. Many people saw the physical body of Jesus and did not react the way that they did. This is spiritual sight, if you will. They could see behind the veil, if you will. They knew what was behind the body, who he really was. They saw Jesus for who he really was and shudder in fear, begging him not to torture them, which Jesus should have. Demons should be tortured. Verse 29 gives us another reason. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Not only the sight of Jesus, but also the word. He's com- Jesus is essentially demanding that they step into the light. They've been caught in the act. Their creator demands they step into the light. For some reason, I couldn't help but think. They're kind of like vampires, right? Vampires, they can't stand to be in the light of the sun, S-U-N. But demons, for some reason, cannot stand to be in the glory of the light of the sun, S-O-N. They, the thought of standing in the presence of the glory of the Son of God makes them shiver and beg Jesus like cowards. Let's go deeper. Verse 30. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? He said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him. They, they're begging Christ. I can't believe that. They begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. This severity of God in Christ is not just some out of control. I just get really angry. It's a sovereign one. It's totally in control. Verse 30, he said, what is your name? Whenever you've been caught, I'm, not a, I'm ashamed of this story, but when I was younger, uh, got this brilliant idea in middle school, brilliant, to, with my friends, hide behind bushes at night and throw rotten peaches at cars driving by. Really, really, really smart. Um, so, throwing peaches is person almost crashes, they, they stop the car, they get out, so we run, right, we run, and I'm hiding behind this, this disgusting dumpster, and uh, the people who are in the car, they, they find me, I didn't see them coming up on me, and they, they, they caught me, and I was cornered, right, and immediately they said, what is your name? What are they doing? They're, they're asserting their power and their authority over me and saying, reveal yourself, you're caught. That's what Jesus is doing here. You're caught. Reveal yourself. You cowards, reveal your name. They said legion. A legion was just a large mass of Roman soldiers. Um, I love the hobbit, the white orc. He was considered a commander of legions, thousands and thousands of, of warriors. Usually around 5,000. For many demons had entered him. This is Jesus this is Jesus versus 5,000 demons. Not an issue for Jesus. Not an issue 
5,000 demons on their faces begging for Jesus not to torture them. Verse 31, they begged him not to command them. Again, we're talking about the sovereign severity. Begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Jesus knows, not Jesus, excuse me, the demons know, if Jesus says, go to hell, there is no option. There is no option. It's not like, "Mm, should I do this? It's, Go, and they must go. Verse 32, they begged him to let them enter these pigs. So he gave them permission. That's what it says. He gave them permission. Satan and his demons can do nothing apart from the permission of Jesus Christ. Do you have a category? Do you have that category in your mind of the relationship between God and demonic powers? That they are under his sovereign control and can do nothing apart from his control. Do you have that category in your mind? I've heard the saying before that Satan is on a leash. He's on a leash. They are totally under the control of Jesus and subject to the very mercy of Christ's will. Before I continue, uh, I debated this for a long time, but I'll try to be as quick as I can. A little, little parentheses. Some of you might be like, why the pigs? Right? Some of you guys, what's going to hang you up is the pigs, so I just feel, <laughs> I'm serious. Right? And this is, this is the day and age we live. You, you preach this beautiful passion about the glory of Jesus Christ and everyone goes, why, why the pigs? If God loved pigs, why would he? So, the text doesn't say, so we need to be somewhat, we need to be somewhat agnostic about it. So you can't be dogmatic for why. We do know he's not going to let them touch another human being. They're not going to another man. Okay, that's clear. They're not going to hell yet. Okay, so what better place than to put them into what were viewed as unclean, filthy animals? Don't get caught up on the animals, but rather get caught up in the fact that Jesus is more concerned about restoring a broken man than about animals or someone's business assets, which is what the pigs were. They were someone's business assets. Jesus cares more about humans and restoring broken people and he does about pigs or business assets. Back. Let's get back. Hopefully that helps some of you. Let's go deeper into their fear, though. I'm gonna, what I'm going to do now is show you a couple verses that are going to explain and help you, uh, give you a glimpse into what's causing these demons to respond the way that they are. Jude 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority. So demons used to be angels. And they were created to stay in a position of authority. But out of rebellion left that. And it says, he, this is God has kept in eternal chains 
When you're chained, you're stuck. And the New Testament writer feels that it's necessary to describe the chains as eternal. They cannot be broken. Hell is eternal. It cannot be broken. Chained under gloomy darkness. This is depressing place. Until the judgment of the great day. They're fearing judgment day. And the condition that they're in now, eternal change under gloomy darkness, will be far worse at the judgment day. 2 Peter 2.4, God did not spare angels. He did not spare angels when they sinned. Do you realize that? When angels sinned, over. It's over. God did not spare angels when they sinned but cast them into hell and committed them. It says he committed them. That's it. That's where you're going. Done. Locked. Sealed. Over. It. Done. To chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. What will judgment day look like? Revelation 20.10. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. And sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented. That's what they said. Please do not torture us. Please do not torment us, Jesus. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The New Testament writer could have said forever. Thought it was necessary to say forever and ever. Leaving it out of the question. Place of torment. Verse Revelation 14, 11 further describing this condition and the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever and they will have no rest day or night. Anybody like resting? Rest is good. There will be no rest in hell. Jesus Christ is utterly, relentlessly, magnificently sovereign in his severity over Satan, sin, and evil. He does not play games. There's no play, game playing when it comes to sin. I told, I, I'm sympathetic towards this question. Why is God so severe with these demons? Why is God so severe? It's because he's the son of the most high God. Look at Mount Everest. Highest mountain. Is it still the highest mountain? I hope so. Don't, don't, don't be that guy, okay? Just highest mountain, okay? <laughs> there are no other mountains rivaling it. It's the highest one. You cannot get above it. And he's the son of that God. No rivals equal in power and authority and eternal. So when you try to assert yourself rebel, offend, oppose that God, the only rightful response, the only fitting response is a severe punishment. Put it to you this way. The worth, the value, the honor, the glory of Jesus Christ is infinite, meaning it has no limits. No limits. Endless. So it makes perfect sense that if you try to oppose that, the logical response is 
an infinite punishment. If you're still like, don't understand. Pretend I'm a student. See some students in here? Yeah. Pretend I'm a student, right? Got a teacher. And uh, I looked at my student, a fellow classmate asked me to do something. And I say, shut up, I don't have to listen to you. Okay, the teacher should give me some sort of punishment. Okay, now what are the te- when the teacher asks me to do something and I say, shut up, I don't have to listen to you. Same exact thing. Different, more severe punishment for when I say it to the teacher. Principal comes along. Principal asks me to do something. I say, shut up, I don't have to listen to you. More severe punishment. Same exact offense. Shut up, I don't have to listen to you. Shut up, I don't have to listen to you. Shut up, I don't have to listen to you. More severe punishment each time. President of the United States comes to me, asks me to do something on television in front of the whole world, and I say, shut up, I don't have to listen to you. Right, we laugh, but there should be a more severe consequence. Why? Because the greater the honor and the worth and the glory of the person you've sinned against, the greater and the more severe the punishment. You oppose the infinite almighty, you deserve an infinite almighty punishment. It makes perfect sense, friends. Hell makes perfect sense. And if you try to lessen the severity of God's punishment and opposition to evil, you necessarily try to lessen his glory and his worth. You try to, oh, he's not that severe. Okay, then he's not that glorious. What this means for you and me is that since Jesus does not take sin, Satan, or evil lightly, neither should you. You should not take your sin lightly. If you are playing with sin, you need to stop. If you are making deals with the temptations of the devil, you need to stop. If you are playing with stuff on the computer, you need to stop. You stop playing games and treating it like a pet. If you're flirting with somebody you should not be flirting with, you stop playing games. Getting drunk on the weekends, doing whatever, you need to stop playing games. Continue to refuse to be generous with your time, your money, and your love. You need to stop playing and messing around with sin. Romans 8, 13. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. If you live according to the flesh, this is the sinful nature that Satan feeds off of. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is not salvation by sin killing. The death of Christ saves you alone. But the pathway to salvation is a sin killing, Satan rebelling, temptation resisting pathway. There is no other pathway. Another thing we can learn is that Jesus is very patient with evil. He's very patient with evil. 
If you are an unbeliever in here, do you have any idea how patient God is being with you? He's being so patient. He is giving you life every day. And giving... The Apostle Peter talks about God withholding judgment is his patience toward you. Is giving you an opportunity to trust in Jesus today. If you are a believer, have you ever marveled at Jesus' patience toward you? It was um, Pastor Mike when he took um, Don, John, and I through the elder track. And it was, it was a whole year, long process. We got to the last part of the, of the process. Uh, Pastor Mike had asked us, hey, what, what's just, looking back on the year, what have you noticed? What have you seen God doing you? And I just looked back on the past, and I could not get over his patience toward me. I looked back into high school. I looked back into college. I looked back at my early years of marriage in this previous year, and how patient he is with me. despite the fact that all the ways that I have chosen stuff over him, change happens with patience. Are you patient with evil? Do you see evil in your spouse? Do you see evil in your friends? Do you see evil in your brothers and sisters, mom, dad? If you forget how patient Jesus was with you, you'll be very impatient with the evil in other people. You don't change people. God does. Be patient. So, I think we've had enough of the severity of God. What do you think? Um, remember that the lens we're looking through at this passage is the severity of God in Christ and the kindness of God in Christ. And the reason why it's so important that we look at the severity of God first in order to go into the kindness of God. You cannot stop and only look at the severity of God. Fear of God's wrath and hell saves no one. Let me say that again. I feel like I need to say that again. Being afraid of hell saves no one. Just because you're afraid of hell does not make you a Christian. Bowing to Jesus being, because you're afraid of hell saves no one. That's what the demons just did. Knowing and saying that Jesus is the son of the most high God saves no one. That's what they did. They were afraid of hell, bowing down before Jesus, calling him the son of the most high God. And they're going to hell. It is only those who cherish and love and embrace the immeasurable riches of God's grace and kindness toward them in Christ. Seeing the severity of God is meant to lead you to the kindness of God. It is only those who love the kindness of God in Christ toward them that are saved. 
Look at verse 34. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. This man was worse than trash. He was a human being created in the image of God. And he had so submitted himself to the leading of Satan. I begged, I, want to, I almost want to say that no one has ever been close to hell on earth as this man. Who would touch him? Who would dare touch this man? Jesus would. After Jesus cast the demons out, it says in verse 35, he was clothed and in his right mind. Remember where they were. They were near water. How did he get to this condition? I'm, it wouldn't surprise me if Jesus had to pick this man up himself, carry him to the seawater, and wash him clean. Do you realize how long it's been since this man has been touched? And Jesus picks him up. Washes him clean. This man's filth does not make Jesus unclean. Rather, the power of Christ's kindness makes him clean. I'm sure after he regained strength, the first thing his eyes beheld were the kindness of God in the flesh. Jesus Christ. And he felt like he was probably finally home. It also says that he was sitting at the feet of Jesus. This, pro- this man had probably only heard the voice of demons and Satan and everyone else speaking about how much this man deserves death, received condemnation and hate. Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And he had probably only heard the words of death fall upon his heart dragging him deeper and deeper into darkness. This man knew he deserved death. Who would ever touch this man? Jesus would. He's sitting at the feet of Christ. And he's probably hearing the words of eternal life for the first time. It's very possible that Jesus said to him, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. He's sitting at the feet of Christ and his soul for the first time was satisfied and being filled with the words coming from the very mouth of God. What this means is that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only saving, it also results in you sitting at the feet of Christ. Sit at the feet of Christ every single day. Where do you, where do you, you can't literally sit at his feet physically. Where are you going to sit at the feet of Christ every day? Directly in the Bible. Sit at the feet of Christ every day. If you have been saved by the grace of Christ, sit at the feet of Christ. 
New Year's resolutions are coming up. Stop saying you're going to read your Bible and read your Bible. Amen. Stop saying you're going to sit at his feet and sit at his feet. There is no better place to be than at the foot of Christ. The kindness of Jesus also gave him a new addiction. Look at verse 37. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. He became addicted to the grace of God in Christ. When Jesus steps onto the shore of your life, you never want him to go. You never want him to leave you. This is what happens when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Money, sex, power, status, family, fame, no longer satisfy your soul because you have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. You actually now have taste buds on your soul, spiritual taste buds on your soul, and you're actually able to taste that Christ, his steadfast love is truly better than life. And the kindness of Jesus also gave him a new purpose. Continuing in verse 38, the man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. The kindness of Christ was not constrained to this man alone. He saved him and then sent him back into the town. And this man was probably deathly afraid of what everyone's going to think of him. Would they reject him? Would they embrace him? Would they believe him? Have you ever thought that this man had friends and family? For sure, this man had a mom and dad. And there's collateral damage everywhere. Not only in the family, but in the town Pigs are dying. People are freaking out. People are telling Jesus to leave. The whole town's in an uproar. And Jesus says, I want you to go back into that. I don't want to spend too long on this, but this man had family, probably. I wonder if some of you guys have someone in your family, or maybe you have a friend, who you sense that there's You've done everything you can. And you can't do anymore. Rather than cast them off, continue to sit at the feet of Christ and beg him to come onto the shore of that person's life. Who is it in your family? Who is it in your friends who you know they, all you can do is beg Jesus to come onto the shore? He gives a new purpose. He turns him into a missionary preacher. Sometimes loving Jesus requires you to go back home and be faithful for wherever you are at, despite the collateral damage. Now, before we um, like to begin landing the plane, uh, before we do that, though, before we think that this man was an innocent bystander, before we think that he was innocently oppressed by demons, Mark 5, 19, it says, 
talking about this instance at the end of the story, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy upon you. Mercy implies some sort of condition where you don't deserve it. This man did not deserve to be healed, rescued, and restored by Jesus. So how was Jesus able to rescue and restore this man and forgive this man? How was he able to do that? You have to remember that this man was shackled with chains. His body was lashed and cut open. He was constantly crying out in the dark upon a mountain, and he was living amongst the tombs. Friends, the only reason why Jesus was able to rescue, save, and restore this man is because he was going to take his place someday. You see, Jesus, although without sin, he too was shackled and in chains like a prisoner. You see, Jesus too, his body was lashed, but not with stones, but with whips. Jesus was crucified on a cross upon a mountain and crying out in the dark. When Jesus was crucified, what did he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And after he died, he too was placed in a tomb three days later to rise again and be triumphant over Satan, sin, demons, and hell. He took the man's place. That is why he was able to rescue and forgive him. And if you're honest, we are not much different than this man. You and I are not much different than this man. We too are enslaved to various things. Not literally in chains, but in our passions, in our mind. We have, we, we have things in our lives we can't seem to break ourselves free from. We too cry out in the depths of our hearts because of the darkness that is embedded within us. Have you ever just laid in bed at night, lost sleep, because you're exposed by the darkness in your heart. We hate the silence. Always putting the headphones in. We hate the silence because we are always confronted with the darkness of our own hearts. And we too cry out for rescue. We too are alienated like this man to some degree from other people because of the ways we have hurt others. Because of our own sin, we are alienated from God like this man. And unfortunately, we too have had moments where we wanted to hurt ourselves. Have you ever wanted to hurt yourself? Some of you maybe are in here and you actually hurt yourselves. Or you really do want to hurt yourselves. You've done things and you want to punish yourselves the way this man did. Do you not know that when Jesus Christ was crucified... All punishment that you know you deserve was received by him. We are not much different than this man. We too deserve death for our sins and we place among the tombs someday. Which is why we must look at and behold the severity and the kindness of God in Christ. I want to end with the question, why why must we look at the, the severity of God and the kindness of God in Christ? Number one, it brightens the glory of the kindness of Christ by contrast. When you see the kindness of Christ on the cross toward you in contrast to his severity towards sin and evil, 
it makes it seem that much brighter. If you take a white paintbrush and paint it on a white canvas, you're not going to really see it. But if you paint it on a black canvas, it's going to shine brightly. So if the severity of God in Christ toward us is infinite, that means his kindness toward us is infinite as well. It also makes us run with exceeding joy toward the kindness of Christ. When you see the severity of God toward your sin and toward evil, it should make us flee to the kindness of God in Christ. And lastly, it intensifies the sweetness of, of God's kindness in us, to us in Christ. Think about it this way. Whenever you're driving down New Jersey Turnpike, and uh, both sides are, both sides of the highway are, are, there's no traffic. And you're driving down, and, and you're somewhat enjoying the fact that there's no traffic. And then all of a sudden you see a car wreck and a traffic jam extending miles and miles and miles and miles. When you see that, what does it do for your enjoyment of the, of the fact that there's no traffic? It intensifies the enjoyment of the fact that you're, you're driving free. So when you look upon the infinite severity of God in Christ towards these demons, it should cause you a greater enjoyment of his kindness towards you in Christ. And this is all seen most clearly in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Severity of, of God in Christ on the cross towards your sin, but also the kindness that he was dying for you out of love. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this beautiful display of Jesus Christ coming into this man's life and displaying the severity of your holiness against Satan and demons and his sin, but also the grace of, his, of your kindness toward him. I pray that you would help us to have hearts that see how severe you are towards evil and sin and Satan and it would cause us to see and enjoy the riches of God's grace and kindness toward us in Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.